continue with our teaching that we started on last week. We're talking about preparing for greater. Everybody say preparing for greater. Uh, Numbers, the 14th chapter, and we're going to pick back up our our main verse there, the the 20th verse of that 14th chapter, preparing for greater. One of the things that that we're going to discover as we continue to look at different components of this story here from the book of Numbers is that God desires to use each one of us, amen, each one of us who are born-again believers, God desires to use us to accomplish great things in life. God desires to take us to a place that even maybe right now we don't even realize that he, he's going to take us to. And one of the things that we're going to discover as we, again, we look back at the children of Israel, which again, the Bible in the New Testament talks about the fact that many things happen to Israel for our admonition and for our instruction. In other words, God dealt with his people in a genuine and God-honoring way, but he allowed those dealings to be recorded so that you and I could learn a lesson from their exploits. So we can learn from their mistakes. So we can learn from the things that they did well. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's good of the Father to, to, to give us an example of how to do stuff and how not to do stuff. Can I get a witness? And what we're going to see as we read this 20 uh, verse of this 14 chapter, we see God speaking, amen, to his people and uh, through, through, the, through, through his man Moses Uh, Look at what the Lord said. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. I told you on last week that Moses is known as what? The friend of God. And God was in in his in his angst and his anger with his people was preparing to wipe them out. But Moses stepped in and said, Lord, don't do that, because if you do that, the enemy nations are going to look and they're going to say, yeah, there go those people who were supposed to belong to God, but, but they can't, uh, God was not able to deliver them and, and to save them from, from, uh, from the enemy. So uh, Moses stepped, to, stepped in and interceded on behalf of the people who had rejected his leadership. Can I get a witness? It's a, it's, it's, it's a God-honoring thing when you can pray for people who you know have done you wrong. It is a God-honoring thing to be able to go to God on behalf of people who you know for a fact have mistreated you. And here Moses is in the sea. He says, I will pardon them as you have requested. Verse number 21, let's read together. It says what? But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing, listen to this, to listen to my voice. Now, I guess you're sitting here today in the year 2019 as a born again believer, hopefully sitting at Elizabeth Baptist Church in Benton, Louisiana on the first Sunday in September in the year 2019. And prayerfully, you're you're not going to be a person who's like the children of Israel who test God time and time again by hearing his voice, but really refusing to listen. How many of you know you can can be in church and you can hear a message, you can be in Sunday school and hear the lesson being taught, but still refuse to listen? There's a word in the the Bible in the King, King James Version says, to hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. To hearken means to hear and to do. Everybody say hear and do. So we see here God is saying time and time again, this generation who I delivered out of slavery in Egypt, they tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Let's go to the next verse. It says what? They will never they will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. Talking about preparing for greater. We know as we've read this story how it is that God had a land that was promised, amen, Canaan land that was promised for his people. But just because God has something for you, I told you last week, does not mean that you're going to get it. 
Even though God is God and, and when he declares a thing, it, it'll be so. But there are a lot of times that God has declared things for us, promises in the word of God that are available to us. But many times we disqualify ourselves from 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 reaping the greater blessing because we have not prepared for greater. Are y'all listening to me today? And so we're going to go through these through the book of Numbers and look at various stories uh, to help us to get a grasp on how we can prepare ourselves for greater. Amen. I told you on last week, Israel had three big problems, right? I see if y'all remember three big problems. They'll pop up on the screen for you. Number one, we said was what? Fear. See, fear in the heart of man will chase out any faith that's trying to be cultivated and developed. Faith and fear are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm talking about that, that fear that gets down in your heart, that fear that dominates your thinking, that fear that, that causes you to reject what God's word is saying and you move on what you see with your natural uh, uh, five senses. So fear and faith cannot coexist in the same heart. I'm not talking about sudden fear because all of us experience what we call sudden fear. The Bible says, be not afraid of what? Sudden fear. Neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes, but the Lord will be your confidence and he'll do what? Keep your feet from being taken. So that means that there's going to be some things that come up in our lives that's going to immediately, when we first hear it, fear rises up. Anybody have anything like that happen in your life? How many of y'all got an unexpected bill in the mail and fear rose up? Anybody ever got a cutoff notice before? Okay, yeah, I know you say, well, okay, yeah, yeah okay. Uh, you, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but, but maybe some of y'all have got a cutoff notice, which means that they're going to cut your utilities off because what? You have not paid the bill. They don't care that you speak in other tongues. Y'all know Swepco don't care anything about you being a tongue talker, does it? Swepco does not care, amen, that you serve on the usher board. Swepco does not care that you're preaching from the pulpit. Or deaconing on the deacon board. Swepco does not care that you love Jesus and you do missions in Africa. The one thing that they want to know is do you have the money to pay the bill? If we didn't have the money to pay the bills here, guess what? They would cut the utilities off, even though we're doing God's work. So maybe an unexpected bill comes in. Maybe a health scare. Maybe, maybe a relationship breakdown where you thought that you were connected forever and now all of a sudden there's this fear of losing that connectivity from a family member. Fear rises up. So the first thing was fear. Fear will cause you, when that fear gets down to your heart, it'll cause you to ignore what God's word says. And we know faith coming by hearing and hearing by what? So the moment I cease to listen to God's word and allow fear to dominate my heart, I'm putting myself in a position to where I'm not going to be able to receive the greater blessing. So first enemy was what? Fear. First problem was fear. Second problem was what? Unbelief. See, unbelief. In other words, uh, I know what God's word says, but I just can't seem to bring myself to really believe that that's for me. I can't bring myself to believe that I can operate, amen, in the promises of God as revealed in his word. So it's unbelief. The third thing we said was what? Complaining. They did a whole lot of complaining. Everybody say complaining. How many of y'all have ever been a complainer before? Any of y'all ever complained about stuff? Come on, let's be honest. You know, uh, we as human beings sometimes can uh, get to a point to where uh, we don't recognize that we really are more blessed than what we actually are. You know, sometimes it's good just to, to, to maybe ride to an area, go, go interface with people who, who have less than what you have. Because sometimes we think we just, we just, oh, just, you know, the Lord is not fair and he's not doing this, he's not doing it. But there are people who would, who would, who would literally just, just knock the door down to be in your position. And that's why it's a good idea sometimes to do missions, because if you do outreach, you begin to see that, that, that maybe you're not as bad off as you think you are. 
Can I get a witness? So, so, but they were complaining about the food. They were complaining that they didn't have some of the, the, the finer uh, delicacies to eat off of. And, and they had a group of people that were with them who were not naturally born Jews who were complaining about not having certain delicacies to eat. But I told you on last week, listen, if, if, you, if you have enough to fill your stomach, amen, if you have enough food in your cupboard to take you through the week to the next paycheck, amen, eat what you have and stop complaining about what you don't have. Beans and rice, rice and beans. Okay, what are we going to have next week? White beans and rice. What are we going to have next week? Pinto beans and rice. Kidney beans and rice. Whatever it is, if it fills your stomach, eat it and be blessed. Stop complaining. And when you do better, do better. When you can do better, graduate the steak and caviar if you want to. Amen. But while you while you are where you are, eat what you got and stop complaining. Can I get a witness? So they, the, the three things they were they, they were complaining. Now, now let, can we just unpack some more stuff that's going on in the text? Okay, because I gave you an outline in the last week and we talked about there are some key applicational concepts that we can glean from the book of Numbers as we study the children of Israel in their journey from slavery in Egypt, amen, into the, through the wilderness into the promised land. Because everybody didn't make it. Even though God had it for them, they didn't receive it. And just because God has it for you don't mean you're going to walk in, amen, the greater blessing. you got to be prepared. Everybody say, prepare myself. Well, uh, the first key concept that we talked about uh, uh, that we're going to glean from this book is, is number one, being organized is good, but sanctification is more important. Everybody say, being organized is good, but sanctification is more important. Now, okay, let me explain what I'm talking about. The book of Numbers actually begins uh, with a census of the people being taken. Now, y'all know that uh, next year, in the year 2020, uh, we take the, the census in America. We count the number of people in this country every what? Not 14 years, every 10 years. Every 10 years, there's a census. And you'll get something in the mail that, that you're, you're required by law to fill out. Now, some people don't do it, but you... But, you want to be counted because it allows your area to get more federal dollars based on the population. Correct. So we take a census uh, every 10 years uh, in the book of numbers. It starts out with a census being taken. OK. And then instructions are then given regarding the position of the tribes in, in the camp and on the march through the wilderness. See, God, God, as he's bringing his people along. He wants to get them to a place where, first of all, that they know how many there is and that there are specific instructions given regarding the position of the tribes in the camp and on the march. It was it, it was it was it was important to God that things be done decently. What? And in order. That's the kind of God we serve. Amen. And not only that, but uh, they, they also discussed the placing of the Levites uh who are the, the, the tribe through which the, the, the priesthood came through, they had a very important place in the camp. Because recognizing God's men is very important. God's men and women, God's servant is very important. So we look at that, the Levites, uh, where they were going to be placed in the camp was something that God outlined for them. Things were well organized, guys. But more important, however, Moses urged sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Get organized. He showed them how to get organized. He, he did what God told him to do. But beyond just being organized, he wanted them to deal with sanctification. Well, well, the, the word sanctification, to be sanctified, means to be set apart for God's glory, for God's use, right? We said before, and you hear me preach this time and time again, sanctification is threefold in nature. Number one, when I invite Christ to come into my heart to save me, Sister Deborah, then he sanctifies me. In other words, he takes me and sets me apart for his use and for his purpose. How many of y'all have been sanctified? Well, uh, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, only a few hands went up. How many of y'all have been sanctified? All right. If you're born again, you have been positionally sanctified. Now, you may not be living like your position right now. 
and that's, 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 the, that's the story for a lot of believers. We are positionally in Christ, but sometimes we don't live like our position. So we are positionally sanctified, right? And then we have what we call progressive sanctification. That means that the longer I'm saved, the more I ought to be progressing to look more and more like Christ. Can I get a witness? Sanctification has nothing to do with denomination. Can I say that again? Sanctification has nothing to do with your denomination. Oh, I'm holiness. I'm church of God in Christ. I'm apostolic. Huh? I'm church of God in Christ. And we sanctify it because we clap. We dance. Dancing and clapping ain't got nothing to do with your sanctification. Do you know Jesus? Is he in your heart? Is he reigning? Is he the Lord of your life? Positionally, I'm in Christ. And the more word that I get down in my heart, the more word that I get down in my spirit, the more word I begin to follow on a daily basis, I am progressively becoming more and more like Christ. Some people who I maybe used to couldn't stand, now I love. Anybody in the house? Some people who I used to have problems with, now I can love on because Jesus Christ and his love is taking a preeminent place in my heart. Are y'all looking at me? Are y'all listening to me? See, when you're in Jesus, when he is the Lord of your life, some things that you're in your natural flesh you couldn't do, you'll find yourself doing because you're progressively being sanctified. The word is like a two-edged sword coming in and cutting stuff out of you that shouldn't be in you. Cutting stuff out of me that shouldn't be in me. So the word of God and the Holy Spirit calls me to look more like Jesus the more I grab a hold to it. And then when I see him face to face, come on somebody, I'm going to be just like him. When I see him face to face, the Bible says I'm going to be transformed, I'm going to be changed in a moment under a twinkling of an eye. I'm going to, my body's going to be transformed and now I'm going to be perfectly sanctified. I'm going to be just like him with no sin. I'm going to have a glorified body. So it's threefold in nature, positionally, progressively, and perfectly sanctified. Can I get a witness? Don't be afraid of the word sanctification. Can I get a witness? As a matter of fact, I want you to do something. Let's go right quick, if you will, uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, then we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. See, things are well organized, but more important, Moses urged sanctification. In other words, keep away from the defiled things, he told them in Numbers, the fifth chapter. He talked about taking a Nazarite vow in Numbers, the sixth chapter. He talked about giving offerings in Numbers, the seventh chapter. He talked about enduring the consecration or ensuring the consecration of the Levites. Amen. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the Leviticus priesthood, the, the tribe through which the priesthood would come out of. He talked about observing the Passover in, in, in chapter nine. And also he talked about following God. He wanted to go beyond just organizing. Because how many of you can have a, a, a group of people who organize as a church, but if there is no spiritual commitment, on the part of the people who are in the church, you ain't doing nothing. We ain't doing anything. He's talking about, amen, sanctification. Look at 2 Corinthians. If you were being organized, it's good, but sanctification is more important. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Who's the writer of this text? Come on, y'all. Who? The Apostle Paul, the same one who was on the road to Damascus, and he met Jesus, the resurrected Savior. Watch what the text says here in 2 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter number seven, and we'll begin our reading at verse number one. Glory to God. He says this from the NLT says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our what? Our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because what? Because we fear God. Watch what he says. He says, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we work. Fear God. Now, back up to the previous chapter, chapter number six and verse 14 leads us into this first verse of chapter number seven. 
Let's back up a second with the 614. Can y'all read with it? Let's read together. It says what? Don't team up with those. Watch this. Who are unbelievers. Okay, he says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? All things being equal, if they cut the lights off in this building, if there was not sunlight coming in through those doors, those glasses there, it would be pitch dark in here, right? But the moment that light shows up, what, what has to happen? Darkness has to flee. He says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Don't be not unequal together with unbelievers. And, and oftentimes we use this in premarital counseling because, uh, and when we talk about dating, because a lot of people date folks because they're cute. You, you debating, you, 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 you're dating her because she's fine. And you don't know anything about her spiritual compass. Does she love Jesus? Is, has she had a born again experience? Does she ever talk about the Lord? When's the last time you heard him pray over the food? Or has he watched you pray and bless the food and then just wait for you to get finished? Come on. See, see, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers because Cuteness will fade. I told y'all before, cuteness will fade when the hell of you start coming out. And you forget about how fine he is, how muscular he is, how fine she is, how pretty her skin is. When that inward thing that's so ugly and unborn again begins to come out, you will hate the day you ever... So all you out there that's dating the guy that's cute. Hello? I'm not telling you. See, there are different styles. People like different people. You know, whatever, whatever your attraction is, all I'm saying is it needs to go beyond the outward appearance. Because let me, let me tell you something. If you marry somebody and they're not born again, and, and, and you sit up and you look at them and thinking they're cute and thinking they're handsome, Pretty soon that'll get old when you don't have nothing to talk about because you, you didn't you didn't judge uh, his, his 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 mental capacity to think beyond just you good, look good, girl, you fine, girl. Oh, I want you, girl. <laughs> oh, you do. He said he want me. Yeah. Don't you recognize that, that men, men typically are visually stimulated? Come on. More so than women. Right? Okay, y'all, 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 y'all looking at me like you, you're, not, you're not really supposed to be. We're talking about, you know, you know, he, he says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And what I'm trying to tell you is just because somebody is physically attractive don't mean that, 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 that you should connect with them because they look good. The first thing you ought to try to ascertain is, does this person know Jesus? Where is his heart? Where is her heart? Are the things of God important to her? Are the things of God, is his word directing that person's life? And, 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 and guys, I'm going to tell you something. If you're around a person long enough, it becomes crystal clear what's driving a man their train. And we're going to see here in the text that God had a problem with his very own people, an entire generation that refused to follow him and went a whoring after other gods. And even though God had greater prepared for them, Dave, they failed to enter greater. Because they didn't prepare themselves. Are y'all still tracking with me? Say, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Verse 15, let's read. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? Ain't no harmony there, baby. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now watch, let me stop right here and park here for a second because I, you, you guys know I teach that it's critically important for us as born again believers to develop relationship with folks who are not saved. 
Because how can you get them saved if you never interact with them? If you look at Jesus in his life, he was oftentimes caught by the Pharisee. I say caught. The Pharisee saw him having dinner with people who they consider to be notorious sinners. And they criticized him for eating with sinners. But how are you going to get somebody saved if you never interact with them? How are you going to get them saved if they, if they never around you enough to see the love of God on the inside of you? What I'm saying is, is when you are around them, don't indulge in the same thing that they're involved in. Hey, man, come on. Down. Yeah, we're we going to smoke a little weed. You know, we're going to, you know, it's legal now. Listen, Christian believer. Come on over. We'll drink a little bit, get a little buzz on. You know, we'll, you know, watch watch the game. You know, and you know, chill out. You know, look at a little little, little porn. And, you know, uh, we'll have a good time. See, as a believer, you can't indulge in that. But there are some times when you can come together. Now, if you go over their house, if you go over the sinner's house, you can't go to the sinner's house and try to take everything away that you deem to be inappropriate because you're in the sinner's house. That ain't your house. So can you go to the sinner's house even when they got their butt light out or drinking a little whatever and still keep your integrity? Huh? See, as a born-again believer, I need to be able to flow in different environments without letting the environment flow in me. Can I get two witnesses up here? You have to be able, if you're going to win the loss to Christ, you got to be able to do like Jesus did. Hey, man, Jesus sat down and ate, ate, ate with him because I, I found it to be, you know, eating, sharing a meal was a very important thing in that Jewish culture. And sharing a meal today is a very important thing. If you feed people, they'll start talking. If they, and when I say start talking, in other words, Various forms of conversation will eventually crop up when you're at the dinner table. And so it's, 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 it's okay to have a relationship with an unbeliever, but don't connect in the same things that the unbeliever is doing. He says, we, what, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Watch this next verse. Let's read. Uh, and, what, and what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my what? They will be my what? Next verse. He says what? Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them. Says whom? The Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. And what will happen? Go to the KJV on that one. Watch this. Watch what it says here. Uh, it says, don't touch their filthy things. Well, watch what it says in the KJV. Same, same concept, but I want, I want to go back. It says, wherefore come out among them and be ye separate, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will do what? Receive it. So God's receiving us, amen, uh, as it relates to uh, working in us and, and preparing us for greater blessings. It's contingent upon us keeping ourselves separate from the things that the world is involved in, even though we have a responsibility to go out and reach out to them and to try to build a relationship with them, but we can't indulge in the same thing they're indulging in. Because if I'm doing the same thing that the sinner is doing, my witness is going to be uh, affected. Can I get a witness? Now go with me to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. Watch it. So, Paul, so, so as, as Moses begins to to, to lead the people. We're going to look at Moses because sanctification had to come to the leader first. Are you here with me today? Sanctification had to come to the leader before the leader could actually do what God has assigned for him to do. First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verse number one. Let's look at this right quick. Glory to God. See, what God understood is this. As you go to the wilderness journey, despite being well organized, would fail unless there was true spiritual commitment by the people. I'm going to repeat that. The wilderness journey, despite being well organized, would fail unless there was true spiritual commitment by the people. Everybody say spiritual commitment. And as you sit here today, ask yourself this question. 
am I committed to God's spiritual principles or am I just committed to being a member of EBC? Think about it for a second. Am I really, truly committed to God's spiritual principles or am I just committed to coming to church on Sunday? Oh, I'll do that. You know, I, I mean, you know, that's, I've been doing that all my life, Pastor. My, I was brought up in the church. When I hear people say that I was brought up in the church, that don't really mean a whole lot. Y'all, y'all know that, right? There's a lot of folks who were brought up in the church. And there's a lot of people who know church, know how church life is, know how to operate, know how to say the right thing. This is the, the Lord has made it. I rejoice and be glad in it, right? God is good all the time. Won't he make a way? He's a way maker, right? He's a company keeping your what? Oh, some, see, see, you got to be older to remember. He, he's a bridge over what? Huh? He's a doctor in a what? He's a lawyer in a what? Now, all those things are good, but you can recite those things because you've been in church all your life. If you go out and get one of these millennials who, who didn't grow up in church, they, you say a doctor and they say doctor where? But I can immediately say that for you all of us who've been in church all our life, a doctor in a sick room, a lawyer in a courtroom, a bread in, see some of y'all, yeah, water in, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, those who've been in church know those, 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 those cultural, uh, yeah, yeah, those, those cultural statements that we all time say. But what I want to know is, are you spiritually committed to the things of God? Because you can know all that stuff and not be spiritually committed. And our churches are full of people like that. Who know church, who know how to say the right things, and when they get up, the first thing I'll say, giving on unto God, who's the head of my life. <laughs> Knowing doggone well, the Lord ain't the head of your life. Because if I trace your life for just a few hours, I'm going to discover that he ain't the head of your life. Because of the action that you are participating in. Come on, let's be real. See, 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 when Jesus is Lord, Lord means he has control. When he is the preeminent one, that means that he has first place and first authority. And if he has first place and first authority, it will show up in my decision making. What drives me? What moves me? Is it the things of God? Or is it my flesh or my feelings? Most people, even that are born again, walk out of fleshiness or carnality. And God is saying, I, I want you to be organized in the church, but I want you to be committed to the spiritual things also. Watch this. Watch this first Thessalonians 4th chapter. Paul is writing to whom? The church at Thessalonica. Now watch what he says here. Finally, dear, can y'all read with me? Let's read together. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have what? As we taught you, you live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. As your pastor, I'm encouraging you to do so even more. I want you to go to a greater level in God. I want you to prepare yourself for greater because God wants to do some things through this ministry that's going to require all of us and to prepare ourselves for greater. Look at the next verse. Watch what it says here. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Watch what he says here. Listen to this. He's talking to the church. Don't miss this. God's will. He's talking to the church. Everybody say he's talking to the church. Say he's talking to us. Say it again. Say he's talking to us. God's will is for you to be holy. Uh, Stop, stop. God's will is for all of us to be what? Now, let me ask you a question. If it's God's will for us to be holy, do we have the capacity to be holy? You bet your bottom dollar we do. Because if God's will is for us to be holy and we were not capable of being holy, then God would be an unjust God. Because he would be asking us to do something that we don't have the capacity to do. And we don't serve an unjust God. But now watch what he says to the church. Watch what he says to the church. Watch what he says to the church. So stay away from all sexual sin. 
That's what he says. Got a pastor and friend, son, who his church told him, you talk about sex too much. Oh, no, he said, don't talk about sex from the pulpit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you read this Bible for half a second, you're going to see God talking about sex. So how are you going to preach and not talk about sex if you're going to preach the Bible? Some of y'all get nervous. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. So, so first of all, as a church, we got we got a man up. We got a woman up and say, listen, this is something I deal with. This is something that I got to be on guard against. Sexual sin. If the Lord don't help me. I can't stand the storm if the Lord don't help me. Ooh, I can't stand. Some of y'all are like y'all ain't been in church all your life. Y'all didn't grow up with them. If you're talking about Jesus, mm, he's a friend of mine. If you're talking about Jesus, come on, Sister Henry. I got you over there. I got you. Yeah. Now, watch this. Watch this. So, we need the Lord to help us. Can we agree? Particularly as it relates to this. So, stay away from all sexual sin. He's talking to whom? I'm just reading the Bible, guys, okay? Do y'all believe the Bible is God's word? So for a church to tell a pastor, don't talk about sex, it's saying don't preach the Bible. Watch this. Because I, here's what I've discovered. Most people have dealt with sexual temptation, are dealing with sexual temptation, or will deal with it. Have, will, going to. Some of y'all getting a little uncomfortable, but that's okay. Because Paul is talking, because think about this. God was preparing his people for the promised land. He was preparing them for greater blessing. But he says, I want y'all to get organized. I need y'all to, to, to ordain some things, to put some things in order, take a census, amen, have a special place for the Levitical priesthood to, to, to be stationed, and, and put a temple in the middle of the, of the, of the, of the, uh, the tabernacle in the middle of the, of, of the camp and all that. Get organized, but while you're getting organized, make sure you get sanctified. All right, come on, let's go. So stay away from all sexual sin. Watch what it says next four, verse four. Then each of you will co- then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. Can we keep reading? Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins. As we have solemnly warned you before, the Lord will deal with you. Okay, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Look at the next verse. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. So now, guys, when I say this, uh, some people will will take this and say, "Oh, Pastor, you know, you you got to realize it's 2019, and you really honestly expect a a, a Christian now, young millennial or 40 year old or 50 year old to 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 really obey this." Yes, what the Scripture says. Even Paul said it in in Corinthians. He said, "Listen, if if you can't, he said he said it's better to marry than to burn in lust." Now, don't get married just. Don't get married just because of physical need. Don't don't get married just for physical need. But if you are 
He says, if you're, if you're, if you are, you're fighting and can't seem to control, he said, it's better to marry than to burn in lust. Okay. All right. So, but don't, don't marry just to have sex. Because once you get married, you're going to figure out that you probably ain't going to be having as much sex. Can I talk to y'all this way? Y'all know I love you, don't you? And you know I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it plain to you. And, and I'm watching my wife because she'll give me a signal if I get out the gate. She'll say, she said, you're getting close to it now, Pastor. Now, listen, one reason why I like to teach this way is because when I grew up in church, I never heard a sermon about sexuality. Not one. And I understand the times that we're living in, but still, even the times that we're living in back then, we still should have, be having conversation, even if not in the, in the pulpit, in, 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 in small groups. Because if people don't know, they can be doing something they think is right, but it's wrong because we never taught them. Teach your children about their sexuality and teach them that not like the world is saying now, you can choose what sex you're going to be. If you feel like a woman, just identify yourself as a woman, even though you are a man. If you feel like you're a, 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 a man, even though biolog- biologically you're a woman, just decide that you're going to be a woman. Y'all, y'all didn't realize that was out there? Some of y'all haven't been reading, have you? And, it's, and, and this whole thing, now listen, I, I thought it was kind of... Um, this guy that's running for governor had a, had a campaign ad, and one of the things he said, he was a medical doctor, he says, he said a number of things there, but he, he caught flack because he said there's two genders. Now, I'm, I'm probably not going to vote for the guy, but I like that part because that's biblical. And, and don't let your politics determine your morality. Well, I'm a Democrat. You know, I can't say nothing like that. Are you born again? You were born again, believe before you are a Democrat or before you are a Republican. It wouldn't do for me to run for office. Watch this, watch this. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but it's rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another, hadn't he? Watch this, because Jesus said, this is how the world going to know you love it, by the love you have one to another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. He said, you're loving people. You're doing what I told you to do, but do it even more. You, you're giving, but even give any more. Give more. You, you, you're helping out, but help some more. Love even more. Can I get a witness? Now watch, watch, watch. Uh, if you will, uh, I, I want you to um, uh, take, take a look at this. Let's go. Um, go with me, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter number seven. We're going to look at Moses. Moses is the leader of God's people. Spiritual commitment had to start with him. Moses had a, has a life story, right? And again, when we looked at Numbers, the 14th chapter, did we ever go there? Numbers 14? We read that, right? But look at Acts 7, chapter verse number 20. Let's start there right quick. Acts 7, verse number 20. The wilderness journey, despite being well organized, I told you, would fail unless there was true spiritual commitment by the people. Acts 7, chapter verse number 20. Watch what the text says. At that time, Moses was born a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for how long? Three months. Verse 21. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and what? And in action. Next verse says what? One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. 
Listen to the story. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue him, them, but they didn't. Let's read it again. Moses assumed, listen, look at what's going on in his mind. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. There are some people who God has sent into your life to deliver you, to help deliver you, to help to get you out of that dark place, but you didn't realize that God had sent them. And what will happen sometimes if you're not attuned to the fact that God has put somebody in your life, you are turned against the very person that God sent to deliver you. God has sent them to rescue them, but they, he assumed his fellow Israelites would realize God has sent them. Look at the next verse. Let's go. Keep me moved. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. Now, remember, at this time, Moses, 40 years old, was in, the, in, the, in Pharaoh's, in the king's palace. All right. Because, again, his mother had put him in the water three months because Pharaoh had ordered the baby boys to be killed. Two years old, under, I believe. And so she, in order to rescue him, to get him, give him a chance to live, she put him in the water, in the river. And Pharaoh's daughter picked him up and began to raise it. He was raised in the palace. Everybody say he was raised in the palace. So the next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you're, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? Here's the deliverer. Hey man, he assumed that they knew that God had sent him to deliver him, but they didn't. But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside, says, who made you a ruler and judge over us? He asked. Come on, let's read. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Let's can we unpack a little bit, just just a little bit here. Okay, let's walk through it. First of all, the facts of the story are these. Okay, Moses was adopted into the wealthiest family in Egypt. Right. He was adopted into the wealthiest family in Egypt. Uh, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, the Bible says. He went to the very best schools and had the equivalent of what I would call an MBA or maybe a PhD. Moses was a highly decorated military leader. And Moses, by virtue of his military leadership and his membership in the house of Pharaoh, would, would arguably be a logical choice to perhaps one day be Pharaoh himself. And many people, you know, Moses was in, in, in what I would say, a, a, a pretty good spot. Would you, would you all agree? Moses, by all counts, would be considered to be a successful person. Would you agree at this point? And many people today, I, I, I think, are devoting their lives to reaching the top of the pyramid, to, to, to climbing the ladder of success in their careers. And, 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 and Moses, amen, was in that very same position. Amen. As a matter of fact, Moses was in position to own the pyramid, not just climb the top, not just climb the ladder. He, he, owned, he, he was in position to own the thing. But Moses made a very costly mistake, y'all. With one impulsive act, Moses fell off the pyramid. Because now, see, the Bible says that, that when, when Moses uh, killed that man, the Bible says he looked to the left, he looked to the right to see if anybody was watching him. And then he took him out. He looked to the left, he looked to the right, but he never looked up. And sometimes in our lives, we look to the left, we look to the right, but we're not looking up. See, God had to take Moses through a process. Can I get a witness? At age 39, Moses had it all. Power, prestige, education, wealth, and a career with unbelievable potential. By anyone's standards, he was successful. When we think of Moses, we tend to think of just the plagues, the Red Sea, and and all the miracles that God did through him and how he led uh, uh, Egypt, not Egypt, led Israel through the wilderness. Amen. Those events transpired in the last 40 years of his life. Moses died at 120 years old. 
But what we what we would consider to be, amen, the miraculous thing that God did happen in the last 40 years of his life, guys. Are y'all listening to me today? Those events transpired in the latter part of his life. Guys, we can't afford to to uh, to to overlook Moses earlier years because the earlier years was God preparing him for the greater. And if all you think about is Moses, amen, going to Pharaoh, throwing the rod down and turning to a snake. If all you know is Moses, amen, amen, uh, declaring this plague and that plague. If all you know is Moses stretching out his rod in the Red Sea opening, you're going to miss the preparation stage. And that's where a lot of us are in our own life. We miss the preparation stage. We see what God did through him and with him. But God had to prepare him to get to that point. God had to prepare Moses, amen, to get there. God called Moses at the age of 40 to go back to school, even though he had some of the best education in the world. How many of y'all know God still has to educate us? Can I get a witness? I I, I like the way uh, Steve Farrar in his book, Finishing Strong, he put it this way. He says, he says, uh, uh, Moses needed to get an MCA. Y'all know what an MCA is? Nobody knows what an MCA is. I'm going to tell you what it is. He said MCA is a master's in character acquisition. Everybody say a master's in character acquisition. See, what God had planned for Moses, getting that degree, that degree was not optional. It was mandatory. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. The MCA is not an easy degree. The master's in character acquisition is not an easy degree. As a matter of fact, it's so hard very few people will actually sign up for it. Most people won't sign up for this, ma- this master's in character acquisition. Amen. It, it, it usually takes, in order to get this degree, guys, it usually takes a radical, uh, unforeseen series of events in your life to get you into the program. Because you ain't going to sign up for it on your own. See, in order for God to prepare us, most of us oftentimes think we're ready for what God has for us. But Moses, amen, amen, had, had the best schools in, in a good position, but he was not ready. God had to work on his character. If you're going to be prepared for greater blessing, you got to get your MC. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you going to start working on your MCA? Your master's in character acquisition. See, events like bankruptcy, Divorce, a moral failure, an addiction, a major career setback, just to name a few of them. Those are the kind of things that kind of push us to enroll in the program. Because without some of that stuff happening in our life, without a severe moral failure, without a, a, a losing a job, without a man having a relationship breakdown, many of us, God can't even talk to us. Many of us sit here, amen, we look in the part, we saved, and when we die, we're going to heaven, but God's got greater for us, but he can't get us to greater because just like we read earlier, we stopped listening to his voice. In order to get us there, oftentimes, he has to sign us up for the MCA, the masters in what? Character acquisition, the masters of character Acquisition is a very tough program and God is still signing people up for it today. Amen. In fact, some of you all right now sitting here may be already in the program and you don't even know it. <laughs> you don't you don't know why you dealing with what you dealing with right now. That thing you're dealing with is hard. It, it may be it, 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 it seems like it's about ready to throw you over the edge, but God is using it to build character in you. He's using it to get you prepared for the greater blessing. Are y'all listening to me today? He's using that thing. And guess what? He didn't have to send it to use it. Can I get a witness? God didn't have to send it to use it, but he will use whatever happens in our lives to prepare us for the greater blessing. Think about this for a second, and, and, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick back up next week, amen. But listen, 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 listen real careful. Listen real careful. Listen, listen real careful. Moses 
lived to be 120 years old. And if you look at his life, his life can be divided into three chapters. Those three chapters are 40 years each. Because 40 plus 40 plus 40 equals what? Come on, math wizards. Amen. It equals 120, right? The first 40 years, he will be what most people would consider an unqualified success. Everybody say Moses in the first 40 years would be considered an unqualified success by the world standard. Because again, remember, this dude is, is, is in the palace. This dude is, 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 is looking over a man, a man, Egypt. This, this, this guy was positioned to be a man. He was, he, was, he, he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, right? And guys, how many of y'all know if Pharaoh's daughter, daughter adopts you, you have the rights and privileges, amen, of your adoptive family. Amen. We as, 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 as Gentiles were grafted in. We were adopted in. We have the same rights and privileges as a natural born Jew who, lo- who knows Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Can I get a witness? God took us in. So because you are adopted, amen, don't mean that you less than, you got equal rights. So the first 40 years, he was an unqualified success. Went to the best schools. Oversee the land and that type of thing. But the middle 40 years was what, what most people would consider to be undisputedly a time of immense failure. Because remember, he ran. He spent 40 years, Gary, on the backside of the desert. He spent 40 years in isolation. And guys, let me tell you something. Sometimes uh, we think it's the worst thing in the world to be, to, be, to be sitting and not moving. But you know what? While you're sitting and not moving, God can be working on you. He can be purging some stuff out of you that don't need to be inside of you. Amen. Quit, quit, quit getting mad because you're sitting still. Sometimes you need to sit still and let the Lord deal with you. So the middle 40 years would be, in most people's mind, undisputed failure. He killed a man. He had to run. Amen. Apparently, he felt he had to run for his life. Because again, remember, when he, when he tried to do it on his own, you got to remember something. The, the, these, these, these Hebrew slaves were economic driver. For the nation of, of Egypt. Can I get a witness? Now here he is. Amen. Assuming that they were going to appreciate him trying to help deliver them by killing that man who was, try, who was trying to hurt, hurt them. But yet they rejected him. But at the same time, if you're going to take all these, these Hebrew slaves who had multiplied in great number and you remove them from Egypt, that free labor is now gone. And when you mess with folks money, come on now. They become extremely upset with you. But yet still, he was in, admitting on the backside of the desert. In the last 40 years, he was finally fit to be used by the master, to be the deliverer, to go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Think about that. See, sometimes... When we're going and we're moving up and then something happens in our life. I'm going to tell you something. I thank God for the rough passage in my life. More so than, than I, that I could have 15, 20 years ago. If you had told me this 15, 20 years ago, I would think, no, no, no. That ain't faith. I'm a man of faith. And I, I, I conquer everything that come my way. Yeah, stuff come my way. But you know what? I can appreciate God taking me through some hard times. Because it was through the hard times. It was through the rough time that God built my character. It was through those rough times, those times that I really didn't want to go through when I didn't even realize I was in the MCA program. I was God had already signed me up for my master's in character acquisition, and I didn't even know it. He was allowing things to come into my life and had me to deal with stuff that dealt with me because he was trying to purge me, staff, and he was trying to get some stuff out of me that didn't need to be inside of me. I can look back on it now and thank him. For signing me up for the degree program that I didn't want to sign up for. Because I tell you right now, I would not have signed up for it on my own. Because it can be rough when you're on the backside of the desert. It can be rough when you're having 
issues, financial issues. Amen. And it can be rough when, when you're having relationship issues. It can be rough when your career seemed to be going up here and all of a sudden they laid you off. Start to mess with you internally as a man. But God was working on Moses because he knew he had to prepare him for the greater. Are you getting prepared for greater? I want to know, are you getting prepared for greater? God wants to do greater through you, but he's got to prepare you for the greater blessing. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you and we praise you.